Welcome to another edition of Chatting with Ingram, or more appropriately on this occasion, it's Ingram Chatting with you. Because what I want to do is delve into some of my analysis on what's going on between uh, Russia and Ukraine and the rest of the world. Uh, and in particular, in this first episode, I want to look at Putin's thinking on Ukraine. Um, now, you know, I can imagine President Putin watching his television uh, as the Taliban ruled across Afghanistan, uh, equipment that had been supplied by the coalition forces falling into the Taliban's hands or being destroyed as the Afghan security forces that had been trained by NATO and the coalition forces melted away and the political ramifications that that caused across the, the globe, in particular in the United States and the UK, uh, will have seen Putin sitting there smiling behind his desk with a very large glass of Russian vodka in a beautiful crystal tumbler over ice as he strokes a white cat on his knee, remembering Russia's own debacle in Afghanistan, but recognising that their withdrawal was much more ordered. Um, Vladimir Putin knew that the West was a shadow of its previous self. Now, at the time of the Russian withdrawal from Afghanistan, the then Vladimir Putin of the KGB was finishing his career as an intelligence officer, um, his overseas deployment. Uh, at that time, he was destroying files in Dresden from the former East Germany. Um, and as the wall came down, he moved to be an advisor on international affairs to the mayor of Leningrad, Antoly Shobchak, um, where by his own admission, he resigned from the KGB in 1991 because he didn't want anything to do with the post-Soviet regime's intelligence machinery. His destination was politics. But that piece of n not wanting anything to do with post-Soviet Russia was interesting. His foundation, the belief at the core of his soul, was the USSR and the USSR as a world-leading global power. He's never lost that belief and has resented everything that has diluted it and the reality around it. And when it comes to Ukraine, for over 10 years before Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, Putin ran a long media campaign aimed at suggesting that Russians and Ukrainians were one people uh, and painting them in the eyes of ethnic Russians as little Russians. Um, and it mobilised a strong anti-Ukrainian sentiment in the run-up to the annexation. He hasn't stopped since. However, what this says is that Putin has a long-term plan, clearly measured in decades, not months, or tomorrow morning's tweets, as Western planning seems to be. Um, and his actions into Crimea, his support for the separatists in the Donbass region, cyber attacks that have happened over the years, you know, aimed at um, Ukraine's banking sector and, and other areas, possible assassinations previous military deployments to the Ukrainian borders over the years. Um, that's culminated in uh, the current massive deployment. Clearly displays his long-term game approach to achieving his objective, Ukraine being absorbed back into Mother Russia. What is different about this deployment is its scale, not just combat troops, but combat support, you know, artillery and engineers, and logistics. It's on a scale that has not been seen before. In addition, it's no accident that Putin is having joint military exercises with Belarus, has deployed naval capability into the Baltic, the Atlantic, the Mediterranean, um, having joint exercises with China and Iran in the Indian Ocean, all at the same time. Uh, the Russian military has not been tested like this since the good old USSR days, something Putin will be proud to have achieved, but also concerned about the message that this is giving at home. So why doesn't Putin just invade and take Ukraine immediately? Well, there are a number of issues around this relatively simple question. The first thing is size. Ukraine is the second largest country by land mass in Europe. It's some 603,628 square kilometres. 
I've measured all of them, um, and has a population of approximately 55 million people. This is a huge area to invade and a huge number of people to try and subjugate. And it's not just a simple military operation, even for a country with the size of military forces that Russia has on paper. And that on paper is important. Even if he had enough land-based military capability to take and hold Ukraine, he would very quickly become fixed um, and able to concentrate on nothing else anywhere else. The second reason is the potential international reaction. Putin actually does care about the international consequences, especially if those consequences will hit him or his supporters in their personal pockets too hard. You know, from a country perspective, economic sanctions he can handle, even though the Russian economy is currently in turmoil. Um, but note how he's courting and getting increased Chinese support. You know, are we seeing or is there already a coalition of leaders for life? However, if it came to the point where his personal assets overseas or those of the oligarchs that support him and uh, read for support, keeping him in power, were badly affected, then he would be concerned. Politically, he needs to keep the oligarchs on side and able to keep their lucrative businesses. Otherwise, support to keep Putin in power would disappear rapidly from those with the power to remove him. Remember the attack on Sergei Skripal in Salisbury with Novichok? That was to send a message to some errant oligarchs more than it was to assassinate Skripal because it happened exactly 14 days before the last presidential election. Putin wanted a greater percentage of the vote um, and at least one oligarch would have tried to disrupt that. After a smear of Novichok and Salisbury, there was no dissent. Of note, Russia has just changed its position on cryptocurrencies from banning them to regulating them. Now, could this be a move to allow Putin and his oligarchs to protect some of their assets in decentralised currencies, less easy to be subject to asset freezing? Regulation could and would uh, continue to allow him and his political friends to maintain oversight of their use. What is clear is that Putin is playing a game of 3D or 4D chess. Every time he moves, he sits and watches what the global reaction is. He knows that he controls the timings to an extent. Troops deployed without purpose can become disillusioned. Equipment deployed where it can't be maintained properly becomes unreliable. Uh, funding large military deployments is expensive. And the court of Russian public opinion, no matter how much it is controlled, will only stay silent for a finite period. His military exercises with China and Iran in the South China Sea. Exercises 240 nautical miles off the coast of Ireland. Just on top of some of the major transatlantic data cables. Um him sending landing ships through the Mediterranean and into the Black Sea, mobilising elements of all of his naval fleets. All of these are doing two things. The first is sending a message to the West. You don't know what I'm up to. The second is splitting Western and allied intelligence and diplomatic efforts. We have to watch these things. And intelligence assets are monitoring a large number of events simultaneously, which means there's less of them to be able to concentrate for them to monitor what's actually going on. When it comes to land-based deployments and his exercises in Belarus, it gives him the ability to outload and forward deploy the military capability he needs to take action into Ukraine, if that's where he's going to go, but also place troops on borders with NATO countries as a deterrent. The rationale is twofold, deterring NATO from physically getting involved and, secondly, splitting Ukrainian defences by suggesting potential multiple axis of invasion. However, no matter what the numbers of troops and pieces of equipment are on paper, when analysing Russian capability, there's only a finite amount that will be the newest, the best trained and the capabilities at proper combat readiness. The rest is there for show. Diplomatically, Putin's manoeuvres are providing him with invaluable insights to Western thinking, possible reactions, weak points and options. 
He will continue to play the political and diplomatic game as long as he has options to manoeuvre in this area and gain and keep, from his thinking's perspective, the high ground. We have seen him offer olive branches to de-escalate, knowing that the thorns in the branch make it unacceptable to the West, who rejected it. Um, however, from Putin's messaging perspective aimed at his troops and his domestic audience, you know, he can message that as the West is being seen as the aggressor. Uh, and this is reinforced by pictures of US and UK and others sending weapons to Ukraine uh, and the talk of military deployments to shore up NATO countries bordering Russia and Ukraine. And all of this will be played by Putin as an aggression. We seem to be paralysed when it comes to confronting Putin in the information sphere the grey zone we've seen and heard too many of our military commanders talking about. So far, Putin has found two major cracks in the EU. One he knew about, the inability of Ireland to influence the waters off its coast and how that provides a potential weak point on NATO's flank. However, the bigger weakness is Germany and her political stance not to send military support to Ukraine. From a longer-term perspective, Putin will see this as a huge victory, proving that the EU can and never will be one security entity and can be easily manipulated and fractured economically. This is hugely significant. What is missing currently are the final triggers and indicators of an invasion. He will continue to play us in the diplomatic and the information spheres. But what is still missing is something to give him an excuse to go in, something he can sell domestically, something he can uh, put doubt into minds of the doubters in the rest of the international community who will hold their government's actions back because of that. Uh, and we've seen the United States uh, release intelligence about planning for potential false flag attacks. That's the sort of thing that I would have expected. Um, uh, and possibly incidents uh, in Russia itself in Belarus, in the Donbass region or in Crimea, um, and possibly even in Ukraine itself aimed at ethnic Russians. We could even see something targeting um, Russian interests overseas, and he blames that on the Ukrainians. Around this, I would have expected increasing cyber activity targeting NATO countries and political entities such as the EU, uh, and these would probably ramp up in a few days before an invasion. However, he may not decide to do those uh, because they could be potential indicators. However, putting all of the troops' numbers and posturing to one side, it is likely if Putin gives the green light to further invade Ukraine, that it will not be a total invasion, it will be limited, probably just capturing eastern Ukraine up to parts of uh, the Dnipro River, consolidating the Donbass region and another land bridge into Crimea. Uh, and he will likely judge that the international community would breathe a sigh of relief at this if he doesn't attack the whole of Ukraine. Um, but it's a dangerous assessment for him to make. However, he does have to do something and do it relatively quickly. Whatever that is, his driving factor will be to maintain credibility domestically and internationally, and that can only go on for a finite period of time. So thank you for listening. Um, there will be more of these as I look at different subjects and look at the indicators, and I'll try and get them up in uh, the coming days because we may not have long to wait. Versions of these are available on greyhairmedia.com. Thank you. <laughs>